So today, as your children, Father in heaven, as we sing Abba or Daddy, Dada, we need your help today. Would you speak to our minds and speak to our hearts through your revealed truth in your sacred scripture, but also by the whispers of the Holy Spirit of the living God. Holy Spirit, I, I thank you that you will speak to us today as you always do. I thank you, Jesus, that you came to this earth for us and that you have lived a perfect life and died an atoning death, that we can be witnesses to your word, works, will, and ways and model our lives after yours, Jesus, that we may have life more abundantly here on earth and life eternally with you in heaven. So we thank you, Father, that we get to call on you today. We thank you, Father, that as we uh, undertake to hear uh, what your word has to say about praying through scripture, we start by just saying, Dad. We start by just saying, Father. We start by just saying, we need you as the only one who can help us, as the one who loves us more than anyone has ever loved us, as the one who loves us more than our earthly parents love us, as the one who loves us more than any spouse could ever love us, as the one who wants us unconditionally. Thank you, Jesus. We praise you now. We ask that you speak to our hearts and our minds that the obstacles have been worshipped away, that the fog has been praised away, and that the word of truth, a seed that might sow a harvest of righteousness, may fall into our hearts. Good soil. There are no thorns. That as the sun comes out to try to scorch what you are trying to grow in our lives, that we have deep roots receiving living water. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. We praise you. And for all the children of God today, we want to give you a shout of hallelujah and a shout of praise. So let's give our Father praise today, church. Let's give God praise for a worship team, a worship team that leads us in truth. Hallelujah. Not praising the worship team, but praising our God. Let's continue to give God praise. Come on, church. Let's get excited about him today. And as our children make their way to kids' ministry, let's make sure that we never stop praising our kids. I love having our kids in here with worship in us because they can see us worship and we can see them worship. Come on, let's keep putting our hands together. I know, I know you're, you, you might not know what you're clapping for, but you're clapping for our children. Amen, amen, amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Hallelujah. I'm so grateful that we get to be here on a Sunday morning. I'm so grateful we get to be here worshiping our Lord next to our brothers and sisters. I'm so grateful that we have a building that we can come together and sing in praises to our King and we can hear the word of truth today. Hey, we're going to jump right into it today. We started last week a mini-series, just a short three-week series uh, called Habits. And these habits are ancient practices for today's world. And how we're looking at these habits is that they are spiritual disciplines. Now, we all undertake spiritual disciplines for different things, but uh, the spiritual disciplines for the Christ follower are meant primarily to give the Christ follower life more abundantly. How many of you would like to receive life more abundantly today? Come on. Yeah. So we should get excited about these disciplines. How many of you love to be disciplined? A couple of us, maybe. All right. Right, so we're going to work that out. When we understand discipline simply to mean instruction or training, and this training comes from the king of glory who wants our good and works for our good, we can perhaps begin to see these, this term, spiritual discipline, a bit more clearly as a rich blessing that God wants to add to our lives as we holistically follow his son Jesus in his words, his works, his ways, and his will. Also, in September, we're going to be producing a 14-week uh, training curriculum for our life group. So uh, this kind of models a, a great book, an old book called uh, The Celebration of Discipline, written by Richard Foster decades ago, and we worked out all 14 of these disciplines where all of our campus pastors have written content and are going to preach video messages, and your life groups can enjoy them should you like to uh, come the fall when we launch life groups back up. But today, we're going to be looking at the habit or the spiritual discipline of praying scripture. So last week, we looked at following spiritual guidance, that guidance is one of the disciplines that we undertake where we are faithfully worshiping, fasting, and praying. Why? So that the Holy Spirit of the living God would speak to us. We all want to hear the Holy Spirit. We all want God to say, go this way, go that way, don't do this, don't do that. Because when it's that simple, 
It's easy to obey Jesus, but obedience to Jesus is not always easy, is it? Amen? It's simple, but not always easy. It's a simple thing to obey Christ, but not always an easy thing. So today, we're going to open Psalm 141. So go ahead and turn in your Bible, Psalm 141. We're going to look at King David as he has teaching us how to pray scripture today. This, this habit, this discipline of praying scripture, we're going to see that throughout the Bible, in fact, most of the prayers you find in the Bible are either direct quotes or direct allusions to other prayers in the Bible. So when we pray scripture, we're seeing that we are speaking God's language, right? God's word, his primary way of revealing his truth to us through his word, and we are speaking his language back to him. And that's what we're going to do today, walking through this habit to see how we can and should utilize scripture to inform our prayer life to receive benefit from God. Now, oftentimes, we don't think to do this, do we? We don't think to pray the scriptures because we have our own prayers. We have our own words that we like to say, and sometimes those can be really good, but oftentimes, if we're honest, those words that we've been rehearsing or repeating over and over again might be empty phrases heaped up like Jesus criticized of the Gentiles of the uh, Gentiles and Pharisees that would heap up empty phrases so that they might impress people around them or even attempt to impress God now I don't hear something I'm not saying I, I'm not saying that when you prayerfully repeat the Lord's prayer that that doesn't count I'm not saying that if you from the depths of your heart sing one of the most beautiful songs in the Bible the Magnificat that Mary wrote I'm not saying that that's not prayer, but how many of you, uh, and we're going to get real personal real quick, amen? How many of you somewhere in your family have a long dinner prayer, right, where somebody that you know you don't want to ask to pray for the meal because it's just going to be way too long, right? Where your food's going to start getting cold, okay, a couple more, maybe not ready to get that serious about this yet, it's okay, right? But where you're praying and you're like, yeah, and then you open one eye and you're like, there's a fly on my chicken. Okay, yeah, God, you're still good. I, I trust you. I believe you. And then you know your food's getting cold. And, you know, maybe some of the, the family prayers of, like, God is great, God is good, let us thank him for our food, amen, and we just start eating real quick. Now, I'm not saying that those are bad or wrong if you mean it. I'm just saying we probably don't always mean it. I'm just saying sometimes they just turn into words with amen at the end, and that's not prayer, church right? Prayer is something different. So that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at what biblical prayer is and how we can pray scripture because none of us want to pray shallow prayers, do we? None of us want to pray, none of us want to pray prayers that aren't actually in touch with our lives. We want prayers that in language that's up to date with the very real situations we are all in. How many of you need prayer today? All of us need prayer, real prayer, real heartfelt prayer from the scriptures. And we're going to look at Psalm 141. So open your Bibles if you haven't already. Psalm 141. We're going to cover the whole psalm today. If you didn't bring a Bible uh, to church, it's a great place to bring your Bible to. Um, if you don't have one, we've got the Connect desk right here where Mike is sitting. Yeah, Mike, do like a cartwheel or something. That, that's, that's what we got, amen. Uh, he, he'd happily hand you a Bible and that's yours to keep or the word will be on the screen behind me today because you need God's word more than you need my word, church, every single day, amen. All right, so I, I wanna read an example from a great book. It's a great devotional. It's by Tim Keller, a great pastor and theologian uh, out in New York. He pastors a church. Um, and, and he wrote this book called Songs of Jesus. And it's a great devotional through the Psalms and teaches us how to pray uh, like the Psalms. And if anybody wants a copy of this book, find me after church and I will buy you one. Amen? Okay, we've only got one so far. So maybe I didn't do a great job selling the book first service. But <laughs> after service, I'd be happy to buy you a book. I'm, I'm serious. It's my treat to you because this is an amazing book. I want to read something from the introduction of the book that really should help to inform and influence why we're looking at the Psalms to learn how to pray scripture. Tim Keller says, every situation in life is represented in the book of Psalms. Psalms anticipate and train you for every possible spiritual, social, and emotional condition. They show you what the dangers are. They show you what you should keep in mind. They show you what your attitude should be. They show you how to talk to God about it. And they show you how to get from God the help you need. The Psalms also help us see God, not as we wish or hope him to be, but as he actually reveals himself. The descriptions of God in the Psalter or the collection of Psalms are rich beyond human invention. He is more holy. He is more wise. He is more fearsome. He is more tender. And he is more loving than we would ever imagine him to be. The Psalms fire our imagination into new realms, yet guide them toward the God who actually 
exists. This brings a reality to our prayer lives that nothing else can. Left to ourselves, we will praise to some God that speaks only what we like hearing or to the part of God that we actually manage to understand. What is essential in praying scripture is not that we learn to express ourselves, but that we learn to answer God. So as we look at Psalm 141 today, we're going to learn the discipline, the spiritual discipline, the habit of praying scripture. We're going to see how David modeled beautifully uh, a great methodology for prayer, a great theology for prayer, teaching us about who God is. We're going to see words that are used over and over again. We're going to see something called a parallelism, which we'll teach about scripture. We're going to see repetition of words, relationship of words, as we, all of us, personally try to ask and answer God. And if we can learn this, we can unlock our big idea for today. Our big idea is that praying scripture will always direct us to God's heart. Praying scripture will always direct us to God's heart. We're going to see four principles. Everybody say four principles. Four principles of David's prayer that will lead us to a well that never runs dry. Your prayer life can be as rich and as influential and as meaningful and impactful as David's prayer life can be. And I know the majority of us in here today do not believe that, but I'm going to stand up here for the next 30 minutes and try and convince you that God wants to hear your prayers and you can move heaven and earth by praying to a holy God. Every single one of you, not just the special folks, not just the people on staff, not just the super deacons and elders. Every one of us can undertake this spiritual discipline and this habit and watch the world change. So we're going to go to the well that never runs dry. Principle number one, they're all going to start with these three words, pray to God. That we should pray to God to hear us and be near to us. And I usually say corporate language, us and we, but I'm going to be talking to you today as I'm talking to me as well. Pray to God to hear you and be near to you. God wants to hear your voice, not just your pastor's voice while you're at church. He wants to hear your voice. So first things first, pray to God to hear you and be near to you. Let's read verses 1 and 2. O oh Lord, I call upon you. Hasten to me. Give ear to my voice when I call to you. Let my prayer be counted as incense before you and the lifting of my hands as the evening sacrifice. The first thing we see David do in Psalm 141 is say, God, please come close to me and please hear me. Apparently, there's some kind of distance between David and God. He wouldn't ask him to come close to him if he was already experiencing his presence. How many of you in here, honest folks, have ever felt like God was a little bit distant from you? So we can be taught to pray like this, to say, God, I need you close to me. I need you to hear me. I'm begging you to come close to me. I need this divine nearness. I need your intimacy. So he is giving like this imperative call, saying, God, please hear my voice. And the primary reason we pray, the primary reason we have these habits, the primary reason we undertake any spiritual discipline is not to display devotion to God for the sake of devotion, or to display devotion to God for the sake of getting something from God. Every spiritual discipline, every habit, every prayer ought to be a means for us to get to God. Not to get something from God, to get to God's presence. Because that's the only place real change happens. Real change can't happen from behavior modification, church. Real change can't happen when you pray a super spiritual prayer. It's the person you're praying to that can actually do something about it. It's not our words. It's the one we are approaching. So keeping us secure, keeping this in mind, being strong and courageous. Why? Because he is with us. Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us. We need to be with God. David is saying, your presence, Lord, is what I want. And that's what he does throughout verses 1 and 2, where he duplicates this petition, where he's using parallelisms is what they're called when it looks like a verse is running parallel, right? He says, I call upon you, Lord. And then he says, when I call to you, in verse 1. And then he says, uh, let my prayer be, and then let my prayer, let the lifting of my hands be. In verse 2, he's intensifying this prayer. He is asking for this prayer to be counted as offering an incense. Why would he do that? Why, why does that make any sense? Because in David's life, at David's time, the only place that you could offer offerings to God, the only place that you would have uh, uh, the evening offering or the incense or sacrifice to God was exclusively at the temple. So a little bit of temple theology is important for us to understand what's going on here. David is saying, God, I want you to come so close to me 
and I need you to hear me just like it were if I were standing in the temple where your presence resided. When the Ark of the Covenant, where God's presence actually resided with his people, David saying, I need you that close to me. I need you that close to me, God. I don't want you to be far away from me. I don't want to just pray to a faraway God who's going to drop in and give me some kind of microwave miracle and, and, and fly off. I need to be close to you, God. And he's essentially saying, please, pretty please, would you hear me? Would you be close to me? Would you come near to me? And we need to do a quick uh, etymology of the word please. Etymology just means the origin of words or how we got to where we got to with this word please. Please is a shortened version of if you please, which is an even shorter version of if it pleases you to do this. David is saying, hear me and come close to me if it would please you to do these things. So through praying scripture, we're closing a gap with God. Not a gap of distance, but a gap of care, a gap of influence, a gap of intimacy, a gap of his hand moving in our lives. And David is teaching us how to do this. When we pray scripture, when we speak God's language, he desires to respond. God wants to answer your prayers, church. God wants to be close to you, church. God wants to bless you. Do you know that? Do we believe that? If you knew that the God of the universe wanted to bless you, you would be shouting amen and hallelujah and doing a backflip, right? We may have to call 911, but this is the kind of joy that we ought to have, that we have this access, that we have this opportunity. So when I think of this movement David's undertaking, I think of my own kids, because kids ask for a lot. Amen? Come on, any, any more vehement amens from parents with young kids? Amen, right? We love our kids, but they ask for a lot. And most of the time, it is my pleasure as their dad to meet their request and say, thank you for asking. I want to do that for you, and I am so happy to do that for you. However, sometimes our kids can ask for things that might not be helpful to their lives. Sometimes our kids ask for things that might even be harmful to their lives. This is exactly what David's doing with God. He's saying, if it would please you to do this, Dad, please come close to me. Please hear what I'm about to ask you, and please do something about it. So for all of us parents, our will for our children is good almost all the time, right? I know sometimes we have bad kids, right? And we're like, Jesus, help me. This is how God looks at us, though. He's saying, if it pleases me to, to answer your request, I want to bless you. I actually want to bless you. And believe it or not, friends, God's will for your life is always good. Your father's will for your life is always good. He doesn't have any least favorites. He doesn't have any people that are like, oh, I'm going to pick on him today. Can't wait to wake up and get them today. That's not how our God works. That's not how he functions. That doesn't mean there's not consequence for sin. But God's will for your life is always good. So what we ought to be doing, how we ought to be praying scripture, taking this model for our lives is to pray according to his will and his good pleasure for our life. Some of you need to hear this, so I'm going to be quiet and slow. God wants to hear you. He wants your voice. He's not mad at you. He's not disappointed in you. If he is your father, through Christ alone, he wants to hear you. And he wants to be close to you. So even if you had an earthly dad that said, I don't have time for you, or even if you had an earthly dad that just wasn't around, your heavenly father wants to come close to you and sit down with you and say, talk to me, son. Talk to me, daughter. Tell me what you need. Tell me what it is that you want. This is what our God wants. And he wants you to have reverence for him. Not fear because you're afraid of him. Fear, holy reverence is fear, right? Holy fear is reverence, excuse me. Holy fear is reverence that you are like, God, you are so awesome that whatever it is you want to do, I want to be part of that. And he wants you to have obedience and he wants you to have sacrifice. And we need to hear this. These kind of things please him and his pleasure leads to our privilege of his presence. When we pray in a way that pleases God, his pleasure grants us the privilege of his presence. When we're with God, we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to worry about anything. 
you don't have to worry if you're less than or not good enough when you're with God. There's a reason he said it over and over and over and over and over again. Fear not, for I am with you. So when we are with God, this is the first direction that we need to take when we pray. This is the first direction that we need to take when we undertake any kind of spiritual discipline. It's just to get to God, to get in his presence, right? And we know this with our children. You know this from, from movies, right? You know this, that even if my kids are afraid of the dark, if they're holding my hands, miraculously, they're not afraid anymore. When we are holding our Father's hand, there's nothing to be afraid of. If we, if we actually know him, if you don't know him, that might be why you're afraid. Because we need to know the real God. So getting to God is the first direction we need to go. And then once we're with him, he works for our good. It's amazing. Principle number two is this. Pray to God to protect you from yourself. Pray to God to protect you from yourself. Because the number one enemy is the inner me. Amen? Right? Yeah, we are, we are the worst enemy of our own lives almost all the time. Let's look at verses 3 through the beginning of 5. David says, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Do not let my heart incline to any evil to busy myself with wicked deeds in company with men who work iniquity. And let me not eat of their delicacies. Let a righteous man strike me. It's a kindness. Let him rebuke me. It's oil for my head. Let not my head refuse it. After the petition David makes for God to come close to him and hear his prayer, he now says, now that we're here together, please don't let me screw this up, right? Now that we're together, please help me. Please protect me. David is well acquainted with the condition of his own heart. He is well acquainted with his ability to be sinful. So he says, cover my mouth. How many of you have ever wished you had a door put over your lips? Come on, oh yeah. How many of you ever spoke words and you watch them come out of your mouth and you try to grab them and put them back in, right? I know what that's like. So David does too. He's saying, I don't want to do anything that could screw this up. I don't want to do anything that's offensive to you because if I'm offending you, God, I'm actually only hurting myself. If we do something offensive to God, it's only ever going to be harmful to us. Now we have to understand that praying scripture can allow God to shape your will for your good and his pleasure. Now, you can't disallow or allow God to do anything, but you can be the primary obstacle standing in the way of God doing something amazing in your life, right? That when you don't get out of your own way in prayer, God's like, okay, I'll wait. I see you're in the way, but uh, I'm going to wait for an opening, and when you ask me to come in that opening, here I come, and you're going to love it more than anything you could ever imagine. So praying scripture can allow God to shape our will for our good and his pleasure. David undertakes this movement, right? He says, put a door over my lips. Uh, he's asking for his heart to be kept. He's saying, don't let me do something negative with these guys around me, with this company that's around me. Let me not eat of their delicacies. I love that it calls wicked things here delicacies because we are tricked so commonly by the world. So uh, this is the type of proactive, protective prayer we should undertake when we approach God, where David is saying, guard my mouth, guard my heart, guard my body, and then guard my community. So when he says, I don't want to eat of their delicacies, these wicked men who work iniquity. Iniquity is anything that is in opposition to God. So we hear iniquity and transgression very commonly. Iniquity, sin in opposition to God, transgression, direct breaking of a command. Excuse me. So he's saying, I don't want to eat of these delicacies. We should be saying the same thing. I know that the world is offering you delicacies every day. I know that the world is offering us delicacies every day. More money, more fame, uh, this girl, that guy, this image, that image. And I'm not saying that any of these things are inherently sinful, but when they come from wicked people, wicked men, performing iniquity, and we want to be protected from them, then God will protect us from him. Praying scripture invites sanctification. Sanctification is being made holy, being made more like Jesus, being more set apart from the world. If you are a Christian, you're supposed to look weird. If you are a Christian, we are called a peculiar people. Oh, thank you. Oh, hallelujah. The, pr the prettiest girl in here gave me a water. Amen. <laughs> I'm not supposed to say that. I'm sorry. Forgive me. Amen. Praying scripture invites sanctification. Through God's protection, 
and through your community because you've got to catch this. This is, this is an amazing movement that David undertakes. He says, let a righteous man rebuke me. How many of you have ever prayed to be rebuked? David is praying for a rebuke. He's saying, let someone that cares more about my salvation than my feelings tell me I'm screwing up. Tell me I'm making a mistake, right? And he says that this is oil for my head. That is blessing and honor and God's anointing. God's anointing on our life is a righteous friend in your life that cares more about your sanctification and salvation than your feelings. We are supposed to pray like this, church. We are supposed to pray, send me someone that's going to stop me if I'm killing myself. Send me someone who's going to say, what you need to do is repent and let go of this stuff because it's killing you. What you need to do is stop blaming everyone else for your sin. This is a blessing is what David says. We got to pray like this. We got to pray for this honor. We got to pray for this joy. In our lives, it's joy. If you have a friend that actually cares about you, the problem that we face, friends, is we don't have a lot of people like this in our lives. We got people that don't want to hurt our feelings, and it's not even their fault. It's your fault. Amen? It's amazing how we get less amens when I say it's your fault, but when I say it's their fault, everybody's like, yep, get them out of there. Now, this is mutual, right? We, we, need to, we need each other. But what this type of prayer, pray to God to protect you from yourself, is the type of bold, proactive protection we need to undertake. Asking for forgiveness is a paramount movement of prayer. But do you know that you may not have to ask for forgiveness from everything if you actually just ask for protection from those things that you just wouldn't sin for? Like you could just say, give me some proactive protection that I may not sin and fall into having to ask you for forgiveness later. It's an amazing protection. It's an amazing thing that God gives us through David. And he gives him the community surrounded with him. If you don't have anybody that will speak up to you in your community when you miss it, you need a new community. If, this, if in our church, in our spiritual family on mission, you have relationships enough that when you mess up, because you will, amen, somebody says, hey, you messed up. And they do it the biblical way, right? They bring you aside. And you talk about it, this is what it is all about, church. This is the type of community that God is offering us through this proactive protection when we pray for this. And he wants this for us. This is how we know praying scripture will always direct us to his heart. He wants you to come to him with this stuff. He wants you to say, who should my friends be, dad? He wants you to say, dad, who should I hang out with? Please reveal them to me. And he'll say, Pookie and Ray Ray, stop, just stop. Right? They're not good for you. Right? Cut it out. Right? Come on. People talk about cutoff season, and I'm like, you, you need to be cut off. <laughs> not the people in your life. Stop. Okay, I'm going to get hung up on this point. So we're going to move on to principle number three. Uh, after praying to enter God's presence and to receive God's protection through our community, in our lives, and from ourselves, the psalmist David here moves into protection from evildoers because there are ills uh, and sin in this fallen world we live in. There are people that are out to get us, right, who are influenced by the enemy, that are tools of the enemy. Do you know that there is someone that hates you for being right now? being here right now. Do you know that there is someone that hates your marriage, that hates your family, that hates the church you go to? So when we understand that there's someone hating on us like that, then we can pray for protection. Uh, principle number three is to pray to God to deliver you from evildoers. Pray to God to deliver you from evildoers. As we follow David's model here, let's look at the second part of verse five through verse seven. Yet my prayer is continually against their evil deeds. When their judges are thrown over the cliff, then they shall hear my words, for they are pleasant. As when one plows and breaks up the earth, so shall our bones be scattered before the mouth of Sheol, or hell, is what he's saying. Praying scripture deepens our sanctification so that we might actually be able to pray against evil in our, following wor in our fallen world 
functioning in real partnership with a just God. As God is justice in and of himself, he is making all things new. He is restoring all things to the way that they should be one day. He is going to give us a new heaven and a new earth. This is the justice of our God that we can be praying with, that we can be partnering with. In verse 5 here, David displays there is a differentiation. He's saying, yes, I am a sinner, and I need protection from my own mouth, my own heart, my own body, my own community, but there are also others that are trying to harm me. So he's praying to potentially be protected from his own sinful desires as well as the sinful effects of the desires of others. And he prays against their evil deeds by recognizing God's justice will be applied. Now, in many of your Bibles in the margin, it will probably say Psalm 141 verses 6 and 7 are difficult Hebrew to interpret, thus uncertain, right? So I'm like, that's just weak. Whoever the Bible publisher is, like, don't just say we don't know what this means and print it, right? Let's actually talk about it. So my, my interpretation of this, and it is a bit difficult Hebrew based on the, the ordering of the words and how it functions, you see this movement from David talking about himself to talking about others, right? He, in the English, introduced is they and them and these, right? So he's saying, God, if I've been sanctified by you hearing, by your nearness to me, and by your sanctifying protection in my life, chances are I'm going to be able to have a great confidence that my words will be righteous and pleasant. That I'm going to be able to have a great confidence that when these wicked judges and their words and their behaviors are paired against what you're doing in my life, that I'm going to be able to pray judgment against that. Because you are a just judge who will always punish evil. God will always punish wickedness. It will always happen. You can trust on him to do it and in fact, church, you can pray for him to do it. Now, this is a, a section of prayer that not many of us love to undertake, especially in these psalms. They're called imprecatory psalms. Imprecatory psalms, you are praying for God's punishment and God's judgment to come into wickedness because that is God's heart, actually. And I know many of us don't want to pray like this, uh, but David in, in Psalm 58 says, God, would you please crush the bones of my enemy and crack their skulls and kick their teeth in? It's like, whoa, David, chill. <laughs> That's hardcore, man. But this is our model. But here's the, here's the, the thing that we have to understand. Because David makes this contrast, so we have to employ this contrast. He makes the contrast also in verse 4 by saying, I don't want to eat their delicacies, which are going to have short-term benefit, and they're going to gain long-term punishment. You've got to jump from verse 4 to verse 7 to get to the long-term punishment, where their bones will be scattered at the mouth of hell, is what he's saying. So David is saying, Please, may my words be pleasant. May my words be righteous. May your sanctifying power, because of your presence, because of your nearness, help me to see that I should be praying for your justice to happen against any wickedness and any injustice. God is not saying, if you get angry at someone, pray for their bones to be scattered at the mouth of hell. Because until you have gone the distance of praying scripture for God's sanctifying power, you may be the one who needs to be prayed against. We got to pay attention. We got to be very, very clear here, church, right? And I'm not saying that I don't believe anywhere in the scriptures where it says, if the Holy Spirit is indwelled in you because Christ gave him to you, that you can lose him. However, his distance can increase between you. That your flesh can control your life versus God's spirit controlling your life. When you don't let him in, you can be on the wicked side of the coin. Your acts and your deeds, if you can't see things right because we've not been sanctified by his power and his presence, we may be missing it, church. So David is very clear about this contrast, and we need to be very clear about this contrast in our own prayer lives. And I think there's a, a great movie clip that helps us understand this. We're not going to play the movie clip. I'm just going to explain it. Uh, any, any big Marvel fans? A couple of people will get this. If your hand's not up, just explain it to your neighbor, please. Uh, these movies came out in the 2000s and 2010s. Some of you, yeah, you're like, I don't even know. I only watch stuff from the 70s and 80s. The pro, the, one of the primary antagonists in the first Avengers movie is a guy named Loki. Loki has a staff or like a scepter that when he touches somebody with it, they become enslaved to his will and they become a, a person who is fighting for his army. Now, it even happens to one of the Avengers. Now, the Avenger is still an Avenger. 
He doesn't stop becoming an avenger, but because Loki has enslaved him to his purposes, he now forgets what side he's actually supposed to be fighting for, and he begins to fight for wickedness, and he begins to fight for injustice. And this can happen in our own lives, that when the scepter of sin touches us, and we don't check it, and that our blindness is not prayed out, then we can sometimes get confused about what army we're fighting in. Now, we don't stop being a child of God, but sometimes you can be confused about what army you're actually fighting in. And in the Avengers, it takes like a pretty severe blow to the head to get somebody to snap out of it. But I'm trying for that not to happen to any of us, amen? I don't want any severe blow to the head to happen to any of us here. But the reality is, many of us are and have been fighting for the devil more than we've been fighting for God. And we got to figure that. That's why this contrast is so important in David's life. That's why David starts by saying, God, please hear me and come near to me. We need to have a holy huddle. And in this huddle, I need you to protect me from myself because I am a right mess, right? I need you to heal me, please. Heal my words, heal my heart, heal my body, heal my community. And in fact, I want that community to rebuke me if I am doing anything that would be defiling to you, right? Jesus says that out of the heart come the words and those defile a person. So he's saying that that is not what I want to be. That's not what I want to do. And only once he's gone there to get right with God can he look around and say, I need to pray against this wickedness. I need to pray against this injustice because there is injustice in the world, church. There is wickedness in the world, church. There is an enemy of your soul that has wicked schemes that many of us are unfortunately falling into. And I saw this so prevalently last year. Now, so for some of you, this might get too close, and don't worry, uh, you'll be healed by God. A bunch of people saw people that voted Democrat or people that voted Republican as wickedness last year. Satan is wicked, God is holy. The end. Okay, so when we point our fingers and start praying against wickedness and don't look at yourself first, you might be the one that's actually wicked. And I know it's hard for us, church, and I know it's not easy for us. But if we're going to truly have life abundantly, i got to teach this thing right. If we're truly going to have life abundantly, we got to look at what the scriptures actually say. So you got to go deep with Jesus. There's an eager expectation from David here, an eager expectation that he can look at wickedness and not just be praying against things he's angry about and not just be praying against things that he's sympathetic towards, but there, there is a sanctification that has happened with God and he can actually see things correctly to know what army he is fighting for because God wants to illuminate this to him so he can fight in prayer partnering with a just God. This is what all of us should want. This is what our church should want. This is what I believe this church is. There's a prayer team at this church, and I say amen, but if you're a member at this church, you're on the prayer team. I just want to let you know that you got signed up for a ministry when you accepted Christ as your Savior, and you joined a local church fighting against injustice in the world, fighting for God's purposes in the world, in the only place we can ever win, prayer. Every single one of us is called to intercessory prayer if you are in Christ. If you are not praying, I would challenge you and say, do you love Jesus? Do you actually want to know the one who can shape your whole life? Or are you just trying to do the best you can by your own power? When you realize that you have the power of heaven available to you, but you keep doing it in your flesh, either you are deceived by the enemy or you have never met the king for himself. I'm serious, church. We got we to get here together. We have to because for pe I, I don't trust people who don't pray. I'm just being honest with you. If, if you don't pray to the king of heaven, I can't trust you. I know it's okay. Some of you are clapping because you're like, amen. Some of you are like, is he talking to me? Yes. If you don't pray, I'm talking to you. Because this is available to all of us. We are invited into all of this. This is why the spiritual discipline is important for us. Because David is not some magical prayer warrior. He's praying to the same God, influenced by the same Holy Spirit that lives inside of you if you're a Christian. The same God that has not ever changed. The same Holy Spirit that fluttered its wings over the earth, causing it to jumpstart into action, lives inside of you. Talk to him. Allow him to shape your life, church. And again, I'm talking about you. This is for you individually. Every single one of us yous in here, this is for all of us yous, amen? All of us, because we have to be praying for this stuff. If you know the person that can change everything and you never talk to him, don't get, don't be confused that your life's not changing. Don't be confused that you're like, ah, oh, I don't know why this isn't happening. Fight 
in prayer. When we see this, and we see God's word truly as a lampstand unto our feet, we can see principle number four. And that's the final principle, and it's to pray to God to grant you peace and security on your path. Let's read verses 8, 9, and 10. But my eyes are toward you, O God, my Lord. In you I seek refuge. Leave me not defenseless. Keep me from the trap that they have laid for me and from the snares of evildoers. Let the wicked fall into their own net while I pass by safely. None of the trial is over in David's life. It says the traps are still set. It says the nets are still out there for the wicked, that they still want to trap him, they still are trying to kill him. None of that changes, but then what, but what does he say? He says, but my eyes are to you, O God, my Lord. I'm not going to spend more time looking at the dangers in my life. I'm going to spend my time looking at the only one that can give me peace and security. I'm going to spend my life chasing the only one that can do something about this. Again, an eager expectation for the Lord to help him. Fixing his attention on the Lord, and what does he say he finds in him? Refuge, security, that he will be protected by God as, he, as we are praying to God to secure our path and to grant us peace. And David here is implicitly affirming something. He's saying, I don't even have the power to protect my own life. That's what he's saying when he asked God to do it. He's saying, I can't do this, God. I need you to do this. And evidence of this type of posture is all throughout Scripture. But did you know evidence of this type of posture is all throughout every one of your lives as well? That every single one of you has uh, traps laid around you, has wickedness laid around you, people that want to trap you in a net, enemies of your life. But somehow, miraculously, God has caused you to be here today. Somehow, by the grace of God alone, how many of you told your heart to start beating today? Oh, no one. How many of you said, hey, lungs, would you please work for me today? Could I please draw breath in my lungs? No, God is saying, I'm going to bring you here, that I'm going to grant you the path of peace and the path of security, not the path of safety. Safety is different than security, amen? Jesus always had peace. Jesus always had security. Jesus certainly did not always have safety. They killed him on the cross. But he had security knowing that his God had him. He had security knowing his Father had him. When we look at almost every Old Testament major story, major battles, we see this is the case, right? Moses, with the most powerful army the world had ever known at that time, at his back, and the Red Sea in front of him, what did he say? I don't know what to do, God, help me. And God parted a sea, right? and he delivered him. Gideon, when he's going to fight the Midianites that are as many as grasshoppers covering the earth is what the Bible says. His army gets dwindled down to a few hundred, an army that never would be able to defeat an army of that side. That size, what happens? Gideon wins. Nehemiah, who goes to a king and asks him a question, and that question un, un, unrequired by the king. When the, queen, when the king didn't say, I want you to come here, and you went to him unannounced, do you know what you guaranteed yourself? Death. And instead, he got a permission slip. He said, yep, go get the trees from King Asa. Go, go do all this, and you can go rebuild the city of Jerusalem. Who closed the mouth of the lion in the den? Not Daniel, God, who allowed those four Hebrew boys to come out of the fiery furnace, not smelling like smoke. God did this. God did this in all of your lives, too, but we don't believe these miracles can happen in our lives because we look at the Old Testament, we look at the Bible, and we're like, oh, I'm not like them. You're right, you're not, but the Holy Spirit is the same, and the Holy Spirit is in you. God is the same. This is our story. This is our life, church. And when we pray, this can be real. When we pray, we can live our lives like this. But we leave this power source untapped. We don't have an eager expectation of the Lord to help us. Most of us have an Eeyore expectation, not an eager expectation that the Lord's going to help us. He wants to help you. He wants to bless you. If you wake up every day and start saying, God, how are you going to bless me today? Watch how much your life changes. Seriously, just watch it. And it's not those words. It's not some health and wealth and happiness and prosperity gospel where you can just say, I'm, I'm naming it and I'm claiming it, God. No, God is the one who gives it. He's the one who does all of it. And should he want to do it, amen, you may get it. If he doesn't, I'm sorry. There's no pretty please incantation that you can get to make that happen. So this evidence of this kind of story, trusting in God, even when the circumstances don't look good, even when it looks like their lives are about to extinguish, Trust in God. Remember, my eyes are to you, O God, my Lord. John Piper has a quote from a sermon from 30, no, 40 years ago. 1981, this sermon was preached. And my life group heard the, a clip of this sermon on Friday, and I just want to share it with you. 
because this is why we don't pray, honestly. He said, until you believe life is war, you will not know what prayer is for. Until you believe that you are in a war with an awesome enemy who is way stronger, smarter, and more powerful than you are, okay? When people are like, oh, come on, Satan. I'm like, you should be careful. If the Holy Spirit's in you, amen. If Jesus is fighting this battle for you, amen, you'll win. But if you're fighting Satan, you'll lose every time. You, until you believe life is war, you will not know what prayer is for. We are in a war, church, and this is why we have to pray. We're in a war with ourselves. We're in a war with sin. We're in a war with the enemy. But we're just casually, like, hanging out on our cell phone, like, oh, yeah, oh, God, you're beeping in. Hold on. i got to figure out where I'm going to watch the Suns game tonight. And he's like, okay. You're getting shot at. Did you, know, did you know there's bullets whizzing by your head? How many of you have ever served in the armed forces? Anyone in here? No one in here. Ask any veteran in your life what war is like. And then understand you are in a worse war. And then let me know if you want to start praying. <laughs> if we want to start talking to the one that can actually do something about it. So uh, as the worship team come, comes back up on stage, I just want to uh, equip us with kind of the end of this. You may have noticed that Jesus didn't exactly show up here, did he? That Jesus it wasn't exactly uh, what this psalm is about. However, Jesus has showed up throughout the entirety of this message. Jesus has shown up throughout the entirety of this psalm. Jesus has shown up throughout the entirety of every psalm, every second, every scripture, every interaction, every moment of your life, and he can show up in your prayers. He wants to show up through the power of his Holy Spirit. I, wanna, I just want to read something that Paul wrote to the Corinthian Christians. In, in 2 Corinthians, he wrote this. He says, as surely as God is faithful, our word to you has, has not been yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. All the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. Church, every promise of God, and if you uh, don't know what God has promised you, just go on Google and, and type in promises of God. And see the promises that are available to the believer. Every promise of God finds its yes and amen in Jesus Christ. That he is our champion. He is our victor. He is our warrior. He is our king. He is the one we should be following. He is the one who gave us the spiritual disciplines because he was the most spiritual and the most disciplined person to ever walk on the earth. So we are modeling our life after him. So as we pray scripture, knowing what God's heart is for us, that every promise of God finds its yes and amen in Jesus, and God's heart is that every person would find their yes and amen in Jesus, that every person would find themselves in Christ, brought back into the family, that which was separated, God wants to bring together. So as we pray scripture, we need to know God's care for you, God's heart for you. As a loving father, he wants to answer your questions. He wants the things that you're asking him for to be things that would please him for the privilege of his presence. He wants to give you every provision you need to be healed, every single provision that you need to be spiritually healed, the real illness. He wants to give it to you so that you can follow him all the days of, of your life and through Jesus alone. This is why we pray in Jesus' name. Did you know that? It's not just an incantation. It's not just the, the punctuation at the end of a prayer. We pray in his name because every prayer is yes and amen in Jesus. That if it is within his will, because every prayer Jesus prayed, guess what? Got answered and had to be answered. Every single prayer Christ has ever prayed has to be answered. That's who we want to pray like. That's who we want to be like. Through Jesus, we have the ability and the power to pray scripture like this, like King David. And that these love letters that were written, these epistles, these love letters that were written to the church, to us from God, that they can have our names in them. I'm not saying that we're going to amend the Bible or edit the Bible, so hear me. Uh, I'm not saying something that I'm not, so please don't hear that. But your life, by the power of the Holy Spirit, ought not be different than these people. Yes, it's a different time. Yes, it's a different context. But it doesn't have to be starkly different. Your life can function only on the power of God as well. Your life can function only on the unction and the movement of the Holy Spirit as well, if you allow God to do that. 
praying scripture will always direct us to God's heart, church. So I want to invite us to our feet as we're going to close in prayer now. But I want to give you this model, that we're going to run through this model again. And this model is pray to God to hear you and be near to you. Pray to God to protect you from yourself. Pray to God to deliver you from evildoers. And pray to God to grant you peace and security on your path. When we can start praying scripture like this, we get to God's heart and your life explodes. So, just as a quick uh, recap, uh, who's on the prayer team? Everyone! Go ahead and say it loud. Who is God's power available to? Who's going to make sure that they talk to him today? Come on. When we got this available to us, church, we got to pray. This is what praying scripture will lead us to, to understanding who God really is and what his heart for us really is. So every single one of us are called to pray, not just for ourselves. When you're only praying for forgiveness, you're not praying enough. You're not getting past your own sin to start shaping the world because that's, that's the power we have. So I'm going to pray for us. The band's going to lead us in worship. And then we're going to get out there and go be prayers for the world. Father, I want to love you like you love me, unconditionally. But I need your help because I can't do it by myself. I need you near me because I don't know how to do this by myself. I'm scared so, so readily. I feel alone so commonly. So I need you close today. I want to give my life to you and everything in it. Sometimes I don't know how. And I know you'll do more with it than I ever could imagine. So grant me personal purity. Grant me familial purity. Grant us purity in our church. Grant us a community that loves one another more than we love ourselves. Because when we try to do it alone, we fail. We struggle to say the right words and make the right choices. You are better than anything the world will ever offer us. So may we choose you today. Protect us, please, God, from the evil around us. Yes, we're called to be in the world, but not of the world. And we don't always know how to do that. But would you show us? Would you grant us, by your grace, the words that you have given to us to be seen as a shining light, a shining beacon in the distressful storms of the world? We know this road isn't easy. We know that many of us have been through the pain of speed bumps and potholes and bridges that have been washed out. Anoint our eyes to see the path that you made for me. Everybody say that. Anoint my eyes to see the path you've made for me. Anoint my ears to hear your words. Even though I know it's going to be hard, you promised me victory. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship our King, church. Come on.